as I said, I woke up this morning 10 years ago with the sound of vuvuzelas. I was living in observatory at the time, woke up this morning, discovered that just down the road, a group of Brazilians had moved into the YMCA and it was absolute mayhem, chaos, but so much fun for a month. Are we just getting drunk on nostalgia? Are we allowed to, to at least once in a decade, just remember the greatest month that I can remember being alive. Benjamin Vogel is a historian. He's also a contributing editor of Africa is a country. Benjamin, have you been drinking the 2010 Kool-Aid today? Uh, totally. Uh, I mean, considering we all like still semi-locked up, <clears throat> unable to move, unable to really properly socialize with strangers, at least officially, I mean, that month was, month was magical. I mean, it's really kind of depressing to think how things have changed and not in a good way. And that's exactly it. I, I guess whether it be our political situation, whether it be our economic or whether it just be this period of lockdown and uncertainty, almost even an existential crisis when it comes to COVID-19, looking for something just to hold on to a better day is what I think the term is. Just looking out for a better day that was. But but what made it what made twenty ten for you so amazing? Of course, you're a football man as I know. It was the access, it was the the, the closeness to our, our footballing heroes. It was obviously the warm and fuzzy Kirsten social cohesion. It was the parting. But what made it for you? Well I mean uh it's a long time ago. Uh so I'll just speak of some things. I was all of 20 years old during the World Cup, and uh, it was kind of like an interesting period for me because if you think about it, at one level, it was an uh, indication of what South Africa could be. It was like the only month any of us can remember without really having to worry about crime and not having to worry about how to get home at night or who's, who's off your phone or whatever. It was kind of like a month-long sabbatical from uh, one of the daily worries of South African life. And secondly, I mean, it was a time to just meet people. I mean, you just met people just hanging out, being out. There was people from all over the world. There was all sorts of engagements and opportunities possible. And now it's kind of depressing considering, at least for me, and I think uh, a lot of other people, uh, our social engagements have been reduced to social media. I'm sick of it. I mean, I kind of remember meeting people in real life. It was way more exciting and engaging. And and uh, also, like, who can forget uh, the collective experience uh, of going through with millions of other people mm. some of those moments of the World Cup, from the first goal against Mexico to our heartbreak uh, when a certain uh, Uruguayan <laughs> footballer used his hand illicitly to deny Africa a semifinal. Look, I'm, 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 I'm going to argue with you that... Um that uh, Luis Suarez was right. He that he uh, no, he, he, that he, he, that he, he played wrong. with. He did nothing wrong. He he, he did nothing wrong. It still it still sucked. It still sucked definitely. But look in the build up to the World Cup, with lots of consternation regarding can we afford this? Are we morally, you know, allowing ourselves to to pay for essentially a month long party with so many people? You know, suffering in terms of, of poverty and, and that has continued to this day. We, I know you had various, um, groups not only speaking out about, uh, you know, FIFA corruption, the South African government's complicity, uh, allegedly in that, but also just the moral argument. Why are we paying for a party 
when so many of us, our fellow citizens, you know, won't be able to enjoy it first and second, firstly, and secondly, they won't, the, the, the benefits or the trickle down benefits won't even see them. Well, I mean, firstly, you say we all know it was corrupt as hell, and we all know that everyone from Germany to the United States all bribed FIFA to get their tournaments, and we were no different. Mm-hmm. But that aside, it was hell of a fun. Mm-hmm. And second of, and third of all, I mean, you know, like the other, the other part of it is, you know, uh, we did see some incremental benefits, but they didn't go far enough. The incremental benefits was noticeable improvements in public transport. Uh, we got, even if they were late, uh, but the real thing is the tragedy is, for whatever reason, uh, what we saw in terms of improvements never translated into a transformative thing in terms of infrastructure. The promises didn't I mean we might have lack of stadiums, but we didn't get a proper bus service that really services everyone. And I mean, there's many reasons why. And uh, that's a whole other discussion. But we saw, I think the tragedy of the World Cup is at one level less all the money we spent because we know we've spent uh, billions and billions of rands mm-hmm. on things which gave far less joy and were consequences of the nation. I mean, we've uh, seen all sorts of white elephant projects on things which were meant to be more constructive without the social value of the World Cup, and we got far less in return. So it's kind of tragic to think about it in that way. At least we got some fun out of the World Cup. I mean, uh, after the Zuma years, there's plenty of other projects which we got no fun out of. Uh, but it also gave us a glimpse of what this nation could be, which is kind of the tragedy of it, right? Look, I, there, there are various various scenarios that play out in my in my mind, which which were indication of what we could have been as a as as a nation, as a city. It, it was taking a train, a metro rail train, at midnight. Just how, so just how far-fetched is that now? Taking a metro rail train at midnight, walking downtown CBD, not even, you know, mainstream Long Street. I'm talking about foreshore, uh, CBD at night with very little fear. Um, I remember reporting during that time very, very few major crimes being committed. Um, there was something in that period which I don't know. Was all of our of our of our of our um? Well, when I say all of us, I say um, criminals as as well. Was all our attention on football, or was all of our infrastructure just trained, almost laser pointed on this month that that shows us what we can do if we if we pull all our resources together? Uh, to be honest, all the things you name now are things we should expect. These are not things which are magical. They somehow become utopian thinking because of various reasons in Cape Town. But, like, first of all, why in the hell is CBE not safe at night? Mm. It's not exactly a huge area. It's minuscule. There's a whole bunch of questions to be asked. It obviously should be, we should be able to walk anywhere in town at any hour in the morning without having to worry too much. It's not exactly unrealistic. It's not even, like, that huge of a policing challenge, but apparently it's too much for the city. Uh, and then beyond that, mm. let's just ask, we have, we had so potential for nightlife and tourism, but now we have a city which seems committed, I mean, before we had this COVID, to uh, shutting down the party. I mean, what sort of international city shuts down bars at midnight, 2 a.m.? That's pathetic. It's embarrassing, <laughs> to be honest. And also, beyond that, what sort of city which is supposedly against drunk driving doesn't have public transport on weekends mm. to get us home at night? I mean... Let's be honest. It's absolutely shameful that uh, there's no infrastructure to prevent drunk driving in this city. I mean, uh, 
as a city, I mean, obviously we have all sorts of problems. It should be your right to come from whatever neighborhood, like from Mitchell's Plain to the CBD and be able to get home at 4 a.m. without having to worry about your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's absolutely shameful that there's no right to the city to enjoy it properly. And the World Cup was indication it could be like that. But I think for political will, uh, lack of social conservatism and a lack of ambition, uh, it never translated to much afterwards. It only got worse. We're speaking to Benjamin Vogel. He's a historian, contributing editor to Africa is a country. We're talking about the World Cup 2010 nostalgia. Where could we have been as a country? Where do we find ourselves now? If you have any stories, any memories of the 2010 World Cup, give me a call. 021-446-0567. There's so many things that stand up in my mind. You, It was... look. I, I talk from the perspective of, like you being a young man during the 2010 World Cup. It was an absolute party. In terms of internationalism, it was the single best UN gathering that I would ever get, you know, close to. To an extent, I was, and here's a short anecdote, uh, at the Dubliner bar and club and whatever it is nowadays um, in Long Street and partying with people from around the world and a drunk Mexican fella. I couldn't have been more than 22 years old. He grabs my arm and he says, Wait, can you get me a gun? I'm like, what? And I'm like, no, dude, why? Because all of a sudden he saw someone speaking to a South African girl. I know it's very, it's a serious story, but it was just this, the, the, it was a, 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 just a melting pot of people just, I guess, having fun and maybe in his weird off, off way, try to ask me if I have a gun. But it was, it was really interesting in terms of the perceptions that people had of South Africa and this internationalism that, that we enjoyed over that period. Oh, well, I mean, at one level, it also reminds us that South Africans aren't, are uh, not exceptionally violent. There are many other countries that are competitive with us. But I mean, I mean the, more, the thing that really stood out is uh, as a city, and I mean, as a country defined by various forms of social divisions, inequality, race, all the gender, all of these things. There was a time where you felt more confident and empowered, at least in Cape Town, uh, compared to normal. I mean, other cities are perhaps better with this, to speak to strangers. I mean, often there's an attitude in the city that you can't trust other people you don't know. And I think that was a fun time because it was a time to just, uh, you know, socially interact in a different way. And um, for me, the it's I feel so sad when I think of the World Cup because... I know that it kind of felt, I mean, even if I wasn't uh, cognizant at the time, that every year has kind of got worse since then. I mean, uh, from Marikana in 2012 uh, to now COVID in uh, 2020. I mean, <laughs> we're kind of in the opposite, being a deglobalization moment in which we might be all experiencing a relatively similar sort of uh, social isolation and uh, various forms of experience, but we can't socialize. I mean, it feels kind of anti-human. Mm. I mean, I understand the necessity of social distancing and wearing masks and all of that. It's important, but it's also kind of like anti-human in the sense that you don't want to not trust somebody you don't know. You want to be able to talk to them. Mm. You, you've, your, part of your work, your research has been in Brazil, where you most recently have been living doing your, your, your research, doing comparative studies between South African and, uh, and, and Brazilian um, history and politics there. Uh, after South Africa, 
the World Cup went to Brazil. It also had a, a an Olympics. Uh, did they go through the same sort of hangover that we experience here in South Africa? Uh, I don't. I think it's a little bit different. I mean, for one, uh, I think things were noticeably getting worse in Brazil before the World Cup, even though the things were connected. I think the World Cup sort of stands out as a moment in a sort of longer story of things getting really bad. I mean, by 2014, the best part of uh, recent Brazilian history had already passed. And I think the other thing is, uh, who can forget the 7-1? I think we watched that game together, Resta, actually, <laughs> at some uh, scummy bar in, uh, off Long Street. Um, but that 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 game, I mean, people's World Cup experiences in Brazil. That's when, uh, so just, just to remind people, that's when Brazil lost 6-1 to Germany. 7. 7, my, my, my apologies. <laughs> you know, it's a very important number. So uh, basically, that, that humiliation kind of characterized the World Cup for Brazilians. Mm. So when they think about it, they don't think about, you know, the sort of moment of potential. I think the moment of like national shame. Mm. It's also the last moment one could actually have worn the Brazilian national shirt without being a political symbol. Unfortunately, the national shirt of the Soissons. Um, you know, uh, has now the national team is now like a representation of being extremely right wing and pro Bolsonaro in Brazil. So it's a, become a partisan <laughs> statement. And I think the other thing about that World Cup is kind of, you know, the way that Brazilians think about it, at least my friends, is, uh, you know, the concept of the butterfly effect, that one, uh, that one event that has all these unexpected waves and consequences mm. that brings about these terrible things. And I think people think of the 7-1 as a sort of butterfly effect in terms of everything going wrong with Brazil, uh, to the point of uh, people being blaming COVID on the 7-1. I mean, uh, and I think the other thing, you know, if you remember that game as well, I think it was particularly, uh, I mean, the most pathetic thing about that game wasn't actually the result for me. It was the whole Brazilian team, like, praising Neymar, who I think is a very disappointing football player in many respects, and a person... Uh, and that's the symbol with the shirts. It was kind of like a sort of the pathetic symbolism of that uh, stands with me to this day. And and two and I guess the the opposite for South Africa was that we knew that our, our team Bafana Bafana wasn't likely to progress anywhere beyond the second round. Second round was probably the most that we were hoping for. We didn't even get that far. But still, as these underachievers, we still wore the Bafana Bafana Bas- shirt with pride throughout. We beat France. Let's we- not forget that. Very, there's lots of things that I forget about that will. I was it was all a blur to me for some reason. I don't. I'm not I quite mean, sure. I mean, but we beat France. Mm. I mean, we we played with honor. Things only got worse for Bafana after that. We weren't suddenly. We didn't draw with uh, Swaziland or Lesotho or any of those. Uh, you know, and neighbors who we should not be competing with in terms of our football skills. We should be surpassing them. Um, you know, it was we we competed with some. Good, our group was really good: Mexico, Uruguay, and France. Those and it was Diego Forlan who, who really killed it. Uh, yeah, yeah, killed it for us in in our final game against no the se- the second game against uh, against Uruguay. Yeah, I mean, those are three of the better teams in the world. Mm. We weren't shamed by our football team at all. Mm. In fact, we did really well. Uh, I think beating France goes down as one of as probably our best results in any World Cup. 
Benjamin Fogel, historian, contributing editor to Africa is a country. Would you do it again, knowing what you know now? Would you do the World Cup, 2010 World Cup again? 021-446-0567. Drop me a WhatsApp, 0725671567.